Good morning. Welcome again to the Christian Church of Carl Junction. I am so glad you've chosen to worship with us today. I believe God has a special message for you as we gather virtually. We're going to jump right into the text today, Genesis 37, 39, 40, and 41. We're going to skip through it a little bit, and we're going to see uh, the life of a man named Joseph kind of unfold as he takes a journey from being self-centered, self-focused, to being others-focused and God-centered in what he does. And I believe God wants you to take the same journey. See, following Jesus can be really, really hard. It can be really difficult to do because it means we surrender everything to him and we take up his way, not our ways. Here at the Christian Church of Carl Junction, when we talk about following Jesus, we talk about a surrender, a submission of everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we want, and everything that we do, and we submit that and surrender that to the ways of Jesus and the words of Jesus. And we live his way, not our way. And that can be really hard to do because the world around us views power as uh, the, the, the loudest voice, the biggest bank account, the strongest position. But God wants us to live this full life, this full life that has influence and authority on his behalf. But we only gain power in the kingdom of God when we serve other people and we surrender ourselves and we surrender our bank accounts and we surrender our thoughts and our plans. And it's through humility that we gain power in the kingdom. That is a journey that uh, God wants you to take. He wants you to go on. So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right into the text this morning, and we're going to see what God has to say to us out of the life of this man named Joseph. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that we can gather here uh, right now virtually online. Many of us are used to gathering face-to-face, and I'm grateful and thankful that we have this avenue we can gather right now, uh, and we can worship together even though we're not in the same room. And Others of us are used to, to worshiping online like this every weekend, and uh, I thank you that we have this available all the time, that you bless us with technology so we can worship in this way. And I pray for the entire Christian Church of Carl Junction family spread all across uh, the globe, that we are able to hear you, to, to follow you, and to see your will done in our lives. And Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I jump into Genesis 37, I need to let you know that if you don't have a Bible, I want to give you one. We have blue Bibles just like this one right here. In fact, when I read the text this morning and when I preach every Sunday, I'm preaching from this Bible right here. And I want you to have one that is identical to it. All you need to do is send a message right now. The information should be on the screen. And just say, I need a Bible. And we will get one to you because we know there's value in owning the Word of God. So we can read it and access it wherever, whenever we want. In the text, Genesis 37 verse 2 says this. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Now, Jacob is the father of Joseph that we're going to be talking about. Jacob also has the name Israel. And so when you hear Israel in a moment, it's the same man. Jacob and Israel are the same guy. This is the account of their family line with Joseph. It says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them, about the brothers. 
You see, Joseph is suffering from the arrogance of youth. You know what that feels like. You've been young or you are young right now, and you know what it feels like to know that your way is best, that you know best, and you think you can take on the whole world. And Joseph right now is suffering from the arrogance of youth, and he's taken it upon himself to police his brothers. His brothers don't take kindly to this. In fact, Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons, and they don't like it at all. And here's a little context to why it tells us in the next verse that now Israel, that's Jacob, the father, he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. See, when, when, when mom and dad choose favorites, it never ends very well, does it? But he'd chosen a favorite. It was Joseph. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe, a special coat for him. So he gave Joseph gifts and things that other sons didn't get. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. See, Joseph here, he's the 11th of 12, and he's been elevated above the rest. And the other 10 in here, they don't take kindly to this at all. It does not make Joseph popular at family gatherings. It does not make them excited to see Joseph coming. And in fact, uh, what's about to happen next is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back and they're going to hatch a plan to destroy Joseph's life because they hate him more than anything else. The next verse tells us why that, that happened. It says Joseph had a dream. He had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And Joseph says, this is the dream. He tells his brothers, he says, listen to this dream I had. You got to hear this, guys. This is awesome. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. They were pulling this grain together out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while all of your sheaves gather around mine and bowed down to it. Guys, it was awesome. Joseph lays it out to his brothers. This is an amazing thing. See, my, my stuff stood up and my sheep stood up and yours all bowed down because you all recognized how great I am. Because in Joseph's world, he's the smartest. He's the, the quickest witted. He is the favorite. He is the best. And everybody else exists to bow down to Joseph. See, right now, Joseph is in the center of his universe. He's in the middle of everything. His brothers said to him, back in the text, they said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream, what he told them. Do you intend to reign over us, to rule over us? Well, of course he did. That's why he's telling you the dream, guys. Of course he does. He wouldn't tell you the dream if he didn't think that he was fit for the role of being in charge. So he's telling them, this is what I think ought to happen. Because daddy set it up this way, and this is what's going to happen for me. I'm going to go out in the field, and everybody's going to bow down. I'm the favorite. Look at me. I'm going to rule over you. And the brothers hated him. Now, a little side note, if you read way ahead toward the end of Joseph's life, you'll find out that his brothers actually do eventually bow down to him. But it's in a moment where Joseph saves them. He doesn't rule over them. He doesn't command them. He rescues them. And it's a whole different context than what Joseph understands right now. Because right now in Joseph's life, all that matters to Joseph is Joseph. 
He's not thinking about anybody else. He's not thinking about his brothers or his dad or his neighbors or anybody else. All that matters is Joseph. In fact, if I were going to illustrate Joseph's worldview, it looks a little bit like this right here. It looks like this right here. Joseph's worldview exists of a universe with himself in the middle. He's in the middle of everything. This is Joseph's worldview, and this is how he sees everything else. Now, you know how it is when you're around a small child, a two-year-old or a three-year-old, and they get a little bit bossy, and they kind of rise up, and they're testing the boundaries of what's okay. You know what it's like when you hear their their bossy words, and you see their little glare, and they stomp their little foot, and you chuckle because when you're two years old, it's really cute. But if parents don't teach their two-year-old to not act like that when they're 5, 6, 7, 17, 27, 47 years old, it's not so cute anymore. In fact, it becomes obnoxious. Joseph is beyond the point of being cute. And Joseph has reached dangerous territory where he thinks he is the middle of everything. He is the center of the world. And there's no place in the middle for anybody else. Joseph's living in a dangerous spot. Maybe, just maybe, you found yourself in a spot like this. Maybe when you live life and you go to work and you come home, maybe it's really easy for you to feel like everybody else there exists to serve you. Maybe you felt the arrogance of youth, but as you moved out of your youth, you kept the arrogance with you. When you were two years old, it seemed really cute, but now it actually drives people away. And maybe it's hard to understand why people around you uh, grumble when you show up and they roll their eyes when you start speaking and they leave when you walk in the door. The reason is because you are in the center of your universe. And the kingdom of God, power is not consolidated around the person that thinks they're in the middle of everything. Because in the kingdom of God, that is called arrogance. That is called pride. And that is called sin. And that's not how God called you to live. When he wanted you to have this full life, that is not the life he wanted for you. So Joseph, back in the story here, his brothers hatch a plan and they catch him one day and they strip this coat off of him that his father had given and they throw him down a dry well. And then when some slave traders came by, they had this great plan. They sold Joseph into slavery and Joseph was taken away to another land, to another place, to a nation called Egypt. And he was sold into slavery and the brothers took their this special coat and they they, they smeared animal blood on it. They took it back to their father and said, we don't know what happened to Joseph. And Joseph's father thought he died. And he mourned for his son that he had loved. And meanwhile, Joseph is off in another nation, a land far away as a slave. But God stayed with Joseph because God has a plan for Joseph. Because, you know, when you live, even if you're living in sin, God still has a plan for your life. He made you for a purpose. And he has a plan for Joseph too. And so he still stays with Joseph. And even though Joseph's 
Context had changed. He was no longer in his home, no longer with his father. Now he's off in Egypt. He still thought he was the center of the universe because his mind had not been transformed to anything better yet. And so he lived that way. And Joseph finds him off living in the house of a man named Potiphar as a slave, serving Potiphar's wife. And the Lord is with him there until one day when Potiphar's wife has some inappropriate thoughts toward Joseph and tries to push Joseph into some inappropriate behavior and Joseph rejects it, resists it, and runs away and she falsely accuses him of attacking her and Joseph is thrown in prison. And now Joseph has gone from his father's house to a well, to slavery, to jail. And Joseph's life seems to be just circling this drain and all through it, Joseph just keeps thinking he is the center of the universe. He thinks he needs to fix his problem. But the truth is, even when life deals you a bad hand, you aren't the one to fix it. The only healing we ever really truly experience comes from God, not from ourselves. So Joseph finds himself in prison. If we jump to Genesis chapter 40, verse 1, this is, what we read, that sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, they offended their master, the king. And Pharaoh, that's the king, he was angry with his two officials, the cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. He threw them into prison, the same prison where Joseph was confined. So the story comes back to Joseph. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and Joseph attended them because, you see, in prison, Joseph, who is a bright young man, he has kind of risen up and he has some authority and some responsibility within the prison where he is a prisoner. After they'd been in custody for some time, it says, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, they had a dream the same night. And each of them, their dreams had a meaning for all, all of its own. Now Joseph, he came to them the next morning. He saw that they were dejected. They were down. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him, why do you look so sad today? He asked the cupbearer and the baker, what's wrong with you today? Well, we both had bad dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. And so Joseph says a line. He looks at him and he says, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And Joseph for the first time ever recorded in scripture, he didn't go straight to himself. He didn't say, you know what, guys, I'm the one in charge. I'm the one that's going to take care of this. He said, interpretations belong to God. And it, it almost feels like he's about to say, so trust God. You find yourself in prison in a, a difficult time. Trust God. But he doesn't. He says, tell me your dream. He comes back to himself. See, Joseph, he's toying with this idea of adjusting his worldview. And now his worldview looks like this. Joseph and God. It's Joseph and God. Joseph has made room now in the middle of his universe, and he's allowed God into it. He says to the cupbearer and to the baker, tell, it, tell me your dreams. And I'll ask God, and together, God and I, we're going to figure this out for you. We're going to fix it, because God and I, together, we can do some pretty good stuff. It's tempting. It's tempting when you've been following Jesus for a long time. And things are going your way. 
it's tempting when you see somebody's having a hard time to say, you know what? Let me fix it. Because God and me, we're, we're on a team. We, we can fix this together. It's tempting when things go well to say, yeah, you know what? God and I, we did this, this project, this, this thing. We serve these people. And we take the credit along with God. But as long as we're still in the middle with God, as long as we're still in the middle, this is not the full life that God wants you to have. You've not yet reached the spot God wants you to be in. In fact, after this happened here and these dreams happened, it says that the cupbearer and the baker, Pharaoh uh, took the cupbearer out and the cupbearer lived and went back to serving the king of Egypt, but the baker was put to death because of his dream and because of what was going on in his life. And so the cupbearer lived and the baker died. And the cupbearer, as he got back out of prison, back with the king, he quickly forgot about Joseph altogether. He forgot all about Joseph. Until, if we jump to chapter 41, in verse 1, it says, When two full years had passed, Pharaoh, that's the king, he had a dream. Two full years. And down in verse 8 says, In the morning the king's mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and all the wise men of Egypt, because the king is going to use all of his resources to figure out this dream that's really driving him crazy. Pharaoh told all of these magicians and all these wise men his dreams, but nobody could interpret them for him. Nobody could. And it's in that moment that the cupbearer, the servant of the king, all of a sudden he says, oh, yes. And he remembered Joseph. And he says, king, I know a man. He's in prison and he helped to tell me my dream. I know a guy. Let's get him in here and he'll help you out. And down in verse 14, says the Pharaoh, the king, sent for Joseph. And Joseph was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when Joseph had shaved and he had changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. He came out in the middle before the king. And the king said to Joseph, all right, I had a dream. And no one, none of the magicians, none of the wise men, no one can interpret my dream. But I've heard it said of you, Joseph, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, for a man who is used to feeling like he's the center, for a guy who's used to feeling like he is the, the middle, the best, the smartest, the brightest at everything, this is high praise. And this is his time to shine. The king says, Joseph, I've heard that you are the man to fix my problem. And Joseph for the first time ever, says, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And Joseph, during his time in prison, when he's at his lowest point, he's at rock bottom, and he feels desperate, and he feels lost, and he feels alone. In this time, God has never left Joseph, and everything Joseph's done is done well. And somewhere in the darkness of this prison, in the discouragement of the season that he's in, Joseph's mind has been transformed in a way that he can re renew and reconfigure his worldview. And for the first time ever, when the king of Egypt looks and says, Joseph, I know you are the guy. Joseph says, 
I'm not the guy. I can't do it. I can't. But I know who can. And for the first time, Joseph steps out of the middle and he lets God be in the middle by himself. He steps out of the middle and says, I can't do it. But God can. I can't, but God can. And with those words, Joseph's life changed completely. When Joseph was willing to submit himself, to surrender his own glory, to surrender his own little kingdom, his own little fame, and to say, I can't do it. But God can. Joseph's life began to change. Church, following Jesus can be hard. But at its core, following Jesus means giving him center stage, the middle of our life. Following Jesus means giving Jesus the spotlight and we step over into the shadow and we say, I can't do it, but God can. It means going this little journey that Joseph has where Joseph thought he was in the middle and everything was about him. And then he said, okay, maybe I'll let God help me. And then when that didn't work either, Joseph realized he had to get out and say, I can't, God can if you've been feeling lost, if you've been feeling like you just can't fix all your problems, and maybe you've been feeling like you don't know all the answers to all the stuff that life is throwing at you, and maybe you feel all the weight and the worry and the fear and the confusion of living in a world full of COVID-19, and you don't know what to do because you're in a world full of unemployment, and you're in a world full of broken relationships, and you don't know how to fix things. Maybe it's time that you try Joseph's plan. And you step out of the middle and you say, I can't do it. And so God, it's got to be all you. I can't. God can. In fact, if we jump into the Gospels, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, we see this man named John the Baptist who has these guys that follow him, these disciples of him, and they've been following him for some time now, and then Jesus comes on the scene, and some of John's disciples start following Jesus, and some of the people around John, they get worried. They're like, John, John, Jesus is messing stuff up. He's getting in the way. He's taking your followers. He's diminishing your fame. He's taking away from your crowd. And John the Baptist, he could have he could have gotten worried. He could have gone and said, Jesus, really, these are my followers. I'd like you to stay away from my people. This is my kingdom, my stuff, my people. Leave them alone. But John didn't do that. John looked at Jesus and he recognized Jesus for who he is. And he said, Jesus, this is John 3, verse 30. He said, Jesus must become greater, and I must become less. Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. John understood that to follow Jesus is to step out of the spotlight and give it all to Jesus, to give it all to God. To step out of the middle and say, God, you have the center stage of my life. You sit on the throne. I don't. 
You stand in the middle. I don't. You make the plan. I don't. You call the shots. I don't. Because following Jesus can be hard. But the only way you ever experience the life that Jesus wants you to experience is when you step out of the middle and you let him have center stage. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. That we live in a world full of brokenness and sin. And we deserve death because of our actions and our sin. But God so loved you and he so loved me. He sent his son from heaven down to earth to come here, to die on a cross in your place and in my place, to take the penalty of death that we deserve. He took it on himself. And then he was buried in a tomb and he resurrected three days later. And he walked out of the tomb with full victory over death. He defeated death in every way possible. And then he looked at us and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He says, therefore, you go and you make disciples of all nations. You teach them everything I've taught you and you baptize them in my name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you give them the gift of life. And then he ascended up to heaven, and he sent us on our mission. That is the gospel. And the only way we can follow him is if we step out of the middle and say, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And you said, to give you my words. So I give you my words. You said to give you my thoughts. So I give you my thoughts. You said to give you my time. I gave you my time. You said to give you my relationships. So I gave you my relationships. You said to go make more disciples. So I, I'm going to go make more disciples. Because following Jesus means giving him center stage. This morning, what I want to do is invite you to say the words that John the Baptist said in John 3, verse 30, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. And I invite you, if you never follow Jesus, I invite you today to surrender your life to him, to give him your life. And everything that comes from now on, you do what Joseph did. You step out of the middle and you let God be the center of everything. And then I invite you to experience the full love of a life that follows Jesus. At our church, we follow Jesus by being baptized in water. That means we're lowered into water and we rise up out of the water, having our sins forgiven by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we are now full, filled with the Holy Spirit. So God can guide us as he is the center of our world. I invite you, if you never follow Jesus, to do that today. Just send a message right now saying you to follow Jesus. Let us know so we can connect with you and we can talk about your next step in following Jesus. If you have followed Jesus, then today I want to challenge you to take a long, hard look at your life and to say to, to yourself in the mirror, to say and ask the question, have I been building my own kingdom? Have I been trying to build my own influence? Have I been trying to consolidate my own power? And if the answer to any of that is yes, then I challenge you today to step out of the middle, to say, I can't do it, but God can. And you surrender yourself to whatever God wants to do in you because I promise you, God made you for a purpose. He has a plan for you. He's just waiting for you 
to let him have center stage. Church, I love you, and I'm looking forward to gathering in person with you next weekend, online with you next weekend, and I'm praying that between this Sunday and next Sunday that you will surrender your life to Jesus and you will surrender your kingdom to his kingdom. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your words here. Thank you for letting us see the progression Joseph took as he moved through his life. Thank you for letting us see John the Baptist as he said, I must become less and you must become more. Thank you, Father, for all these examples. And I pray that this church, this family, would surrender everything we have to you. And you would increase. We would decrease. You would be the center stage. We would be in the shadows to serve you as we've given everything over to your will. And Father, I pray as Jesus taught us to, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I praise things in Jesus' name.